Hey, everybody. Welcome to Mark Bell's Power Project Podcast. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by friends over at Piedmontese Beef. Real quick, I have to give a huge shout out to my boy in SEMA. Dude, you looked fantastic for that photo shoot. What were you eating for your meal prep? So it's actually pretty awesome. The reason why Piedmontese is so great is not only does their beef taste amazing from those jack cows over at Piedmontese, <laughs> but um, it's also pretty low fat. They have certain cuts that have more fat, but it's like a diet steak the great and that coined that from you Andrew. Mm -hmm. you're the one who called it a diet steak because leading up to the shoot i wanted to lose a little bit more body fat i didn't want to eat a crazy amount of fat so i just like honestly loaded up on protein and steak from piedmontese can you tell me the macros on their flat iron andrew because you know those yeah so the flat iron i believe is like 46 grams of protein to only four grams of fat I mean, tell me another protein source that has that ratio of protein to fat. Like, mm -hmm. it doesn't exist. Yep. And then even more so, so the diet steak itself that I, you know, I guess I could have some claim to fame. Uh, I call the Bavette steak a, a diet steak because there's like 100 grams of protein for the whole thing and only 16 grams of fat. Mm. But the thing is, it's like the size of a football. You know, so for anybody that's really trying to cut down and they like, oh, I, I, I can't be on a diet because I'm always hungry. Try eating a Bavette steak, you know, see how you feel. You're going to get tons of great protein, tons of healthy fat, taste amazing. And I can tell you right now how to get 25% off that. Uh, you guys got to head over to Piedmontese.com. If you know how to spell it, say it with me. It's P-I-E-D-M-O-N-T-E-S-E.com at checkout. Enter promo code POWERPROJECT for 25% off your order. And if your order is $99 or more, you get free two-day shipping music but he's there's no substance Let me hit record there's there's here. minimal substance yeah I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get some heat for this and it's totally okay i'll take that i'm a i'm a sucker i like drake <laughs> you do i do oh yeah. shit yeah. i didn't know that yeah. mark yeah okay i like drake a lot he's mark a, likes drake that's cool. <laughs> but he the way he raps he he, he doesn't like he just says things like it, it just for rhyme's sake like, uh, I don't know. He'll say something like, I only want my bed and my mama. I'm sorry. <laughs> See, I was going to make something up and it was a little bit better than that. Yeah. I was going to say something random. Like, uh, I think sometimes these guys do it just cause they can. Yeah. Like they're so course. talented. They're like, I don't care. I think that's, uh, <laughs> Yo. yeah. Some of them just fucking like, will just say something cr like totally crazy. I remember a little Wayne line. Little Wayne's the best at that. But he doesn't care. He, he does it. not. He does again. Another person that just says stuff. Talks and about I, how many toilets he has dude. to shit in. <laughs> <laughs> and little little Wayne is like praised by every. Like I, I'm gonna get so much. I don't care. But he says, "Someone better play defense. Someone better tell her about me." Baby, I'm the shit, and that's the only thing you smell around me. <laughs> hey, that's dope. Why? It's catchy. That's not, okay, that's fine. <laughs> but, it hits you here. You're like, oh, oh shit. But, <laughs> so just, just everything smells like shit around them all the time. <laughs> well, I mean, when okay, honestly though, like when you look at Little Wayne, don't you kind of think of Flavor Flav, and then yeah. you just kind of think of a, mm -hmm. you know. Just a little bit, yeah. A little turd. I love <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, but... <laughs> Can we start this podcast over? Yeah, I know. There's a documentary on Lil Wayne and, like, the the um, studio that he's with. They get him, like, a brand new Phantom Rolls Royce. Okay. And he yeah. just, he, like, he's walking past it. It's his first time seeing it. And it has, like, a bow on it. And he's like, damn. He's like, that's pretty sick. And they're like, it's for you. He's like, oh, shit. And he stops for a second. He's like, that's cool. 
And then he keeps walking. <laughs> he like totally didn't care. And then he's like, uh, they're in a hotel and they're interviewing him. He's going through inter- interview after interview. So mm-hmm. he's, you know, kind of getting frustrated with certain people, but he sits down with one guy and one guy kind of says something joking around and like, he didn't say anything derogatory or anything, but, uh, he was just like, I don't like this dude. He's like, get him out of here. And the guy's like, Oh, I'm sorry. He's like, did I say something? Like, you know, I was just going to, you know, take 10 minutes of your time. Like the other reporters, he's like, no, nah, it's over with. Mm. <laughs> and the guy was like, okay. That's and no one knew. And the manager or whatever was like, Hey, he's just, that's he's, better than any line he's ever rapped. They're like, he's, he's just different. You know, he's, Speaking of different, did you guys uh, listen to the Kanye West, Joe Rogan episode? Yeah. I didn't listen to it yet. Is I listened it good? to a tiny I, bit of it. I listened to it. I, I think it's really cool. Number one. I like Kanye, but I don't honestly, I don't feel like I know anything about him. So I think that would be really good to mm-hmm. listen to. Yeah. I think that the cool thing that you see about that episode is Kanye's mind really just does like, if Joe asks a question, Kanye will get to 10 different topics and then he'll get back to the question but you realize through the whole interview that that's literally just how his mind works he's just probably kind of deep he's an intellectual intellectual being huh yeah yeah i I was waiting i'm still haven't gotten back around to him answering like the first question so that's how far in i've gotten about Mm -hmm. half an hour so (laughs) still working on it yeah it's good you talk about presidency and stuff like that and yep about being the leader of the free world sweet it's like calling that yeah, most good. of this, I mean, you don't, it, it's just hard, so hard to know anything about, you know, some of these celebrities sometimes. Um, but stuff I see from Kanye, it looks like he has a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. He's like hanging with his kids and dancing with them and shit. And yeah, I mean, uh, kind of reminds me of LeBron. Like, I don't really hear about him getting in much trouble. He's, I mean, he does like, he'll be inflammatory here and there. Cause I think that maybe he, I, I would like love to hear more about his mental health. Uh, on the show and he's talked about that before so i do think that he has some issues and his own wife uh even talked about that so it'd be interesting to learn more about that but i mean it just seems like he has a lot of fun with the shit that he's doing you know he's mm-hmm. smart like i when uh cosby was going through all the well the initial allegations and stuff mm-hmm. he's about to drop an album and he's like i don't know guys i think cosby's innocent and so now everybody's talking about Kanye West. Like, oh, by the way, album drops tomorrow. <laughs> and it's, it's just so smart. I mean, yeah. it sounds dumb now, yeah. but like in the moment, you know, mm-hmm. nobody saw it coming. So right. it was dope. Yeah. And then um, he knows that, how to get attention. Yeah. yeah. On that note, the mental health thing, man, when he does go into it, I think uh, it is going to shine a light on a lot of individuals that have mental health problems mm-hmm. and the, the problems that the medication causes them. Right. Because he went in kind of deep on that. And I, I think uh, for a lot of people that aren't familiar with that, um, it'll open their, their eyes a lot to medicating individuals right, right. in those situations. So good for him for getting help yeah. too. I feel like a lot of people are on medicated and they don't get any help. They don't, you know, seek help. And I think it's, it's hard. I think people feel real vulnerable and they feel like there's something wrong with them. It's like, Oh, you got to go see a shrink, you know, and you feel like you're a, uh, just, you feel like you're different than everybody else. And it's probably not a good feeling. You know, mm-hmm. but a lot of people can use help. I think, I think if more people viewed it as um, like consulting, I think uh, they would probably be more open to going. Uh, but it's like when you think that you have to seek out therapy, it's like, oh, he had to get therapy. Yeah. You know, he lost his mind. But I don't think there's anything wrong with losing your mind. There's a lot of different pressures out there. And we put so much pressure on ourselves. And uh, it's hard not to get caught up in what other people are doing. So coping with it, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's a clip out there. I wish we could find it, but I don't know if we're going to be able to find it before the episode starts, but it's Kanye when he's like, 
19 through 22 or 23. He had this interview where literally he was talking about at that time, he was just a producer and just a guy making beats. And he was talking about how he would be able to rap on his beats and literally all the things that he's doing now. He was literally talking specifically about those things then. Mm. And it almost sounded like a joke. And oh, then like the, there's a video that did showed the transition mm. and it's, it's crazy. That's cool. It's, it's a little really bit crazy. like maybe Conor McGregor type stuff. Like Conor yeah. was like, I'm going to be the best fighter in the world. And we saw Ali do that you know i think ali was probably the first person to do that um i and i think when muhammad ali was saying it people were like this guy's crazy <laughs> like what is he talking about yeah i'm gonna be the champion of the world i'm gonna be the best in the world and when he wins the belt he says i shook up the world and repeats it over and over again like mm -hmm. he's screaming into the microphone i think everyone's like this guy's a madman yeah but then he was the goat right mm -hmm. i mean kind of willed it to happen and uh maybe kanye did something similar yeah one of my favorite song well I, yeah i guess it's a song but it's just at the end of college dropout where he's just talking about how he got signed to rockefeller records yeah i remember it's that so one. good i'm like it man it just seems like a completely different kanye though he had some pretty good support right like does he have a pretty good support from like his mom or something like that mm -hmm. yeah yeah and just i mean he's cool. it, it's crazy like once he got you know super you know famous and stuff going back and seeing how many records he actually produced like back in the day it's yeah. like whoa dude like i had no idea that he was around back then you ever see the clip of him randomly yelling into the microphone just complete nonsense you ever no. see that? <laughs> he's at like a party and uh i don't even know how you would look it up but he says like words that you can't even tell what he said but the video went viral it's like i don't know Speaking 40 million tongues. something like that yeah <laughs> He grabbed the mic and everybody's like, oh shit, he's going to say something or he's going to rap or something. And he went, ba da 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 <laughs> Have you heard the song recently where he was like, scoop de dee poop It's kind of like that. Yeah, it was kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. That song is so good. <laughs> scoop de dee boop is better than any Drake line a, ever. I think he's a genius, man. What he's, he's doing awesome. with his shoes and stuff. They talk about that on Rogan they and They talk all. about that too. They talk about that too. He's like, puts out like these little uh, pictures of his shoes sometimes and it's just, you know, it's like a it's like a blob of a shoe, like a mold of a shoe. Mm -hmm. And then people are like, oh, what's that? You know, and he'll put he'll put out like different stages of it. It's pretty cool. He's the king of hype or building. Hype. Oh, good morning. Good morning Hello there. How are you? Cool. We're doing fantastic. Great to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me. All right, before we can move forward, because we're very immature and so is our audience, we have to get the Dr. Seaman jokes out of the way. Okay, perfect. perfect. <laughs> I'm Actually, sure you... I have a great joke about my own last name. All right, here we go. So I was a medical student at the time, and I'm literally like nine months pregnant with my uh, first daughter. And this urology resident is kind of talking with me, and he's like, I don't understand with a last name like Seaman why you didn't go into urology. <laughs> and like without skipping a beat, I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. I don't do penises. <laughs> Clearly you do. <laughs> Oh, man. We were just discussing that before the show. We're like, we're all super immature and we just need to just get it out there and get it over with. I actually don't get that much flack for it. My <laughs> husband's a police officer. He's Sergeant Seaman. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's really good. <laughs> how old are your, I don't know who has it better, who has it worse. How but. old are your children? I'm sure they'll get a lot of shit for it as they get older. Well, I have three daughters, so eventually they can just get rid of it, right? Right, right. There <laughs> you go. 
Well, it's great to have you on the show today. I heard a lot about you. I heard you on uh, Dr. Paul Saladino's show and heard you on a few other shows. And uh, you got an interesting story. And uh, I'd like to first kind of kick it off with just starting out with your athletic background, because it looks like you have a great physique. It looks like you stay in great shape. And I think sometimes I think some females are sometimes scared of lifting weights. And I know you have a, a powerlifting background. I see the trophy in the background there of you, yeah. of, uh, of someone doing a, a squat. <laughs> oh, nice. Ooh. That's awesome. Yeah. So if you give us some history on your um, sports background and stuff like that, that'd be great. Yeah. So I'm born and raised in Nebraska and was a three sport athlete growing up and uh, played softball for the Cornhuskers. So go big red if there's any Husker fans out there listening. And while I was at Nebraska, I got those two trophies. So I was a two-time lifter of the year at Nebraska. And I've always had a propensity to build muscle. So found out in my adult life that I had PCOS. So I've probably always had just just good genetics. My dad was a college football player. He actually played professionally for, for a short period of time. So have good athletic genes, can build muscle very easily. Um, but unfortunately also carry a lot of diabetes and insulin resistant genes. Mm. So when I left college and basically vowed to never lift a weight again, because I was so, I, I wasn't proud of my big quads and my muscular body. I think there's just this social pressure as a woman, just like you touched on that. That's not attractive. It's very masculine. And so when I left Nebraska, I basically was like, I'm not going to lift weights again. I kind of just became a cardio junkie when I was in medical school. Um, but as you guys know, uh, resistance training is super beneficial for metabolic health and muscle is. And so I, I'm sure I lost a ton of lean body mass. Um, I went on to develop prediabetes and hypothyroidism after I had my girls. And about two years ago, realized in 2018 that I had to get back into the gym. So I got back to lifting weights again. And now my training is is mostly resistance based with a small amount of hit training. I don't really do any cardio. I mean, in the midst of, of developing prediabetes, I was running half marathons. Mm-hmm. So when wow. they say you can't outrun a bad diet, like it's totally true. So for every woman out there listening, and I tell my patients this too, you know, I'm a practicing physician. I say, listen, if you want bang for your buck in the gym, go lift heavy things. You know, um, don't, if you have 30 minutes, don't spend it on the elliptical machine. And I, I truly believe that because I, I'm living, breathing, walking proof of it. What kind of weights were you lifting to be a Nebraska lifting champion? <laughs> Well, I mean, it's, you know, we do Olympic lifting, so we're hang clean, squats, bench. I, don't even ask me what my PRs are. I don't, I don't even remember. I just like blocked it out of my mind, but, um, <laughs> I was a softball player. I mean, we were, we were strong athletes. Um, we weren't lean necessarily, but, uh, we were strong in Nebraska really actually kind of set the bar. When you look at strength and conditioning amongst, you know, college programs, Boyd Epley was one of the first in the game with, with you know, strength and conditioning programs for collegiate athletes. So, I mean, I, I trained at an amazing university and, and really set a foundation for resistance training. I think that's another thing. A lot of women don't understand how to lift weights or, you know, they know nothing about programming. Um, and so it's hard to find people that are, that are knowledgeable that, that, uh, can help you. When you made that transition into college, um, and then you said you, you stopped, you know, you stopped lifting weights. You started doing a lot of cardio. Uh, did your diet change at all? Because like, it, I don't know that 
it seems that like doing marathons versus playing softball, maybe you'd be burning more calories, right? So how did that work for you? How did you develop prediabetes? How did your diet potentially change? Um, And how did you not outrun that? Because a lot of people would think that, especially doing that type of work, there's no way in hell you could get prediabetes. Right, right. Okay, so growing, the real story, growing up, I was a three-sport athlete, but I think because I was so active, I got away with eating horribly. Mm -hmm. I mean, I grew up in the 80s to 90s, you guys, I was eating hamburger helper, like without the hamburger in it, (laughs) (laughs) like every kind of box meal there was. Um, And no offense to my parents. I mean, that's just the life I lived. My mom worked an incredible amount of hours, but she sacrificed so much for our family. But then here I am, I go to college, right? We're at the, we have nutritionists at our disposal. I'm at the training table. They're teaching us, you know, eat protein, but eat the rainbow, eat all your fruits and vegetables. And I never grew up like that. So I like, of course I like avoided the salad bar, you know, I ate some protein, but I was a typical college kid. I wasn't eating great. And I, what the whole, the ironic thing about the entire situation is that I was getting a nutrition and exercise science degree. So I'm sitting through these classes and like, I mean, I, I know what I'm supposed to eat. Right. But we're human and, and I wasn't eating great. I was eating okay, but I think it was my activity level that really kept me, you know, where I was at. And then here making this transition from being a collegiate athlete to now I'm super sedentary as a medical student. I'm sitting on my butt. I'm in the library long, you know, periods of time. I, I would have to go over to the gym to actually, you know, exercise. I wasn't, no one was forcing me to do it. Um, I did a short little stint of like P90X in medical school, but all of a sudden, I was struggling to maintain my weight. And so I did what I thought I was supposed to do. I just started counting calories and I'm telling you, like I was counting the goldfish crackers to stay within my calories. So, you know, yes, calories in the, in the, you know, big context, yes, they do matter, but you know, I wasn't eating nutrients. I was just eating a bunch of carbs and I got pregnant with my first daughter. Pregnancy in and of itself is an insulin resistant state. It's like one of the greatest, you know, greatest physiologic tests of a woman's, you know, metabolic health. And, and I will admit I didn't eat great during pregnancy either. I mean, I was in medical school, I was in residency, I was working 80 hours a week. My husband was working nights and weekends. I mean, I had every excuse on the list that we could come up with. Um, and I, and I stopped lifting weights. So it was just, it was like a double-edged sword, you know, for me. And so I thought, well, I'll just sign up for these half marathons and the carbs are great, right? For these long distance runs, because that's certainly different than something that's explosive and, and more anaerobic. But um, once I got back into the gym lifting weights, I was already on a ketogenic diet. And one of the trainers at the gym, the, the gym is very like hit based and, and weightlifting based. And he looked me straight in the face and he was like, you won't survive here without eating carbs. You, you know, you can't be ketogenic here you can't gain muscle on a ketogenic diet. That's pretty much what he told me. And so of course I'm very competitive. So I set out to prove him wrong. So from 2018 to 2019, I had already kind of got back to my normal weight, you know, that I was happy with. And from 2018 to 2019, I lost an additional 27 pounds of body fat and put on nine pounds of muscle in 365 days. And I have this, and I have the scans to prove it. And um, I mean, it's just incredible when you eat, adequate protein, you keep your energy balance in check and, and you work your body hard. It's, it's amazing what happens. Being on the softball team, uh, were a lot of you and the other girls talking about losing weight. Like I find that a lot of girls that are maybe thicker and more athletic 
that they're they stick a focus on that and they don't end up with good nu- nutrition because they're not getting enough nutrients they're actually uh like not eating enough in some ways like they're overeating calories but under consuming micronutrients yeah it's a huge problem in in you know especially collegiate female athletes and then and then above that elite athletes but it's typically more in sports like we see it a lot in like track and gymnastics or huge sports, um, somewhat in like volleyball and basketball, but in softball, I don't think that there's a high incidence of eating disorders, probably more, more, you know, binge eating behavior. Mm. Um, I did have one teammate with bulimia that I knew about, um, you know, when I trained, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, it is, it's, you know, a lot of people just trying to starve themselves, um, for, to, to look right. Um, but not giving themselves the the right fuel to perform, uh, which is crazy to me. Paul Saladino and I were talking about it. Like it's crazy that there's people that can get to that level of a, you know athletic competition and are, and are eating such a poor diet. You mentioned uh, counting calories. Do you feel like counting calories is kind of like the overarching thing that sort of uh, is uh, something that is a large factor in things, but. Um, maybe uh maybe has too much focus and maybe people should just be focusing on uh maybe like what they eat and not necessarily just honing in on just the calories i think it's super overplayed because here's the deal as a practicing physician you know for years and years and years we just tell people eat less and move more right just eat this many calories per day but you take somebody that's eating 1500 calories of, of ground beef and 1500 calories of Skittles. And those two people are going to function and feel very different. Right. And, and for me, you know, I thought, well, if I just stay within my calories, you know, I'll be good. But I was completely devoid of, of all these essential nutrients. Thank God I have three healthy children, (laughs) but (laughs) I think we need to, I think we need to get people to start focusing on nutrient dense foods and less about worrying about calories because what I find personally, who has time to count and track? I am so busy. I'm so busy. I don't have time to put things in my little app on my phone. I don't have time for that. And people a hundred years ago didn't do that. So we need to be eating foods that are satiating enough that keep us from making, you know, emotional decisions. I think women in particular are very emotionally tied and triggered by food. Um, and I find that when I eat enough protein and enough fat in my diet that I feel satiated, that I don't make bad decisions like that. And I don't counter track. A lot of people ask me like, what are your calories? What are your macros? I'm not even really sure what they are. I don't, I've for very short periods of time for specific reasons. Um, you know, if you're doing, you know, physique competitions or, you know, you are training for something I do track for short periods of time and it can be helpful just to learn and be honest, but even studies on tracking people aren't accurate. So I think we need to get away from that and teach people how to eat nutrient dense foods. And I think people will naturally probably eat within a a better calorie range. You know, I totally agree. I I agree with everything you're saying because I don't track either. I used to track a lot in the past because I did like bodybuilding and physique shows and that stuff. And you track rigidly. Um, But I'm curious, since you did track so rigidly and you were you were like used to even knowing what a goldfish was, how many calories a single goldfish was. Do you feel that that helped you at this point? kind of in the back of your head, know how much you're eating? Like, do you even, cause I know you're eating to satiation. So you're, you know, you're, you're getting full because you're eating nutrient dense foods, but did that past tracking kind of give you a, you know, in the back of your head, do you have an idea when you might be over consuming or do you think that like just satiation is good enough for most, at least for the individual that's never tracked before? 
Yeah, I think it's good for for short periods of time to learn what a portion really looks like. Um, But I also had this nutrition degree. So I had sat through classes where they were like, you know, teach your clients that, you know, the the size of your thumb is a a serving of cheese or teach people that a deck of cards is four ounces of protein. And so I try to use visuals like that with my Mm -hmm. clients and with my patients so that they have a basic understanding. But unless you're literally like weighing your foods, a lot of times tracking isn't super accurate anyway. But I do think just from a visual perspective of like understanding what your plate should look like and how much food should be on there, it's, it's a good place to start because I do think that there are people that have absolutely no clue (laughs) when, especially because people eat out of bags and boxes and all sorts of things. And so even if you're counting goldfish crackers um, or like nuts is a big one in the keto world, I'm like, literally, do you know what a serving of almonds is? Like take them out and count them. You know, those are easy things to just consume a ton of extra calories. Yeah. And maybe if you're tracking, maybe it might just help deter you from eating some snacks that are put out at like a party. Cause you're just like, well, you know, First of all, I don't know how many calories are in these chips and all this different stuff. I think I think this is little things that add up over time. You know, people uh, having soft drinks that have a lot of calories in them, uh, people having snacks. But I would say, like, tracking to me only really makes sense when you want to eat things that are just not uh, not normally on the human diet anyway. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, it, it makes sense. Like, if you're going to if you're going to eat like uh, ice cream or pizza, like it actually makes more. And that's where people won't track. <laughs> Because people are yeah. like, oh, I'm off my diet. You know, they're not going to track at all. But that actually probably makes the most sense to track that stuff rather than tracking your steak and your chicken because they can't really do any harm anyway. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. I call it the blame, shame, and justify game. It's like you just like you justify things constantly. We just find ways to like make yourself feel better about it, and it's a form of stress relief. It is. It's like it's a form of stress relief. But for you, when you made that transition. To do it, I think you said in 2018 you started doing keto, or I don't know if it was 2018 or 19, but you had all this nutrition, right? Uh, teaching in, in college, and I don't know in med school too if you had, but you, you had all of that. Um, you were an athlete, and I mean, when I played soccer in college, the person who was uh, giving us our like our nutrition, you know, he'd make sure that we had some pasta or some rice or something before we had practice or games. So that was drilled into us that you need carbohydrates for performance. So being a former athlete and being an educated individual in nutrition, did you have, uh, I guess, discre- like, did you have discrepancies in your mind on uh, am I getting rid of all my carbs doing this keto thing? Is this going to be good for my performance? How the hell am I going to perform knowing what it's done for me in the past? How did you navigate that? Yeah. So when I got my nutrition degree, it was very like eat your whole grains, you know, limit fat, fat causes heart disease. Right. So then here I am a number of years later, I'm a practicing physician I've got pre-diabetes and hypothyroidism. And I'm like, I feel like a total fraud. I have a nutrition degree and a medical degree (laughs) and I can't figure this out. Right. I'm telling patients, you know, to like figure it out and I can't figure it out for myself. So it was actually like 2015, 2016 when I I actually started with whole 30, I thought, well, I'll just eat real foods. I'll just eat real foods. But um, I did that for about 30 days and then I transitioned into more of a paleo lifestyle for probably about four to six months. And I only survived paleo because I used like a meal service where they, you know, like, you know, go pick up your meals. Yeah. Um, but I liked dairy and I liked cheese. So I was like, this paleo stuff is crap. <laughs> and like the paleo desserts didn't taste like real food at all, <laughs> like cashew 
butter, whatever. Anyway, so then I was like, well, what if I try the ketogenic diet? But it had such a bad stigma associated with it in the medical community. Um, but it made sense to me. I'm like, okay, this makes sense. If I limit carbs, I won't use insulin. I'll be able to drive my fasting insulin down. I'll be able to reverse my prediabetes. And so it really made sense to me. So I thought, well, I'm just going to try it. And I, I started with what I would describe as a standard ketogenic diet. It was very high fat and I was limiting protein because I was afraid that excessive protein would kick me out of ketosis. Right. So it was just like, I got to get into ketosis. And so and it worked. I felt amazing. I felt really good. Um, the weight did come off, but I definitely was was mindful of my calories. I wasn't just unle- you know unlimited amounts of like sticks of butter and things. You know, I really was trying to keep things in check. And then in 2018 um, is when I November 2018 is when I decided I was going to try carnivore for 30 days. I thought these people were crazy. I was like watching Sean Baker <laughs> people eat carnivore. And I'm like, wait a minute, like no plants, like no vegetables, like no fruit. I've been told for a year, I have, I paid $200,000 for a degree to tell people to eat five to six servings of vegetables and fruit. I'm like, okay, I'll try it. So I just tried it for 30 days. And the one thing that I really got out of it, especially as a woman is it really forces you to prioritize protein in your diet, which I was, I had always been bad at. And so after that 30 days, my husband and I transitioned to what I kind of call a keto carnivore lifestyle. So we're very, very, very heavy meat based, but neither one of us has any sort of autoimmune condition Our guts tolerate plants just fine. I think it gives you a little bit more social freedom, um, but we definitely eat a ton of meat. And now when I work with patients, I really try to do the same thing. I'm like, listen, if you don't have epilepsy or some medical condition that requires you to have a therapeutic level of ketones so you don't seize, it's probably more advantageous for you to focus on more of a high protein, low carb, moderate fat approach. And I think that's another thing is people just think you can eat unlimited fat on a ketogenic diet. And I've certainly found out that's not true. You can overeat nuts and cheese pretty dang easy. But that's, I mean, it was, it was, there was such a stigma associated with a ketogenic diet and, and even using it in clinical practice. I got a lot of flack from, you know, physicians in my community, even my own partners. Um, so last year I was one of the first round of physicians to become a board certified ketogenic nutrition specialist. And I mean, I think we'll see more studies, you know, coming, um, finally the American diabetes association has acknowledged, you know, that ketogenic therapy does work for patients, but I sure was sure felt like I was sticking my neck out for a while in the sake of my own health. Really? Do you feel like it's uh, maybe the single most important thing that someone can do is just to simply do what you just said, prioritize protein. And I would maybe even go a step further and say, just stuff yourself with protein, because uh, when you stuff yourself with protein, I think you can kind of let everything else fall where it may. Obviously, you still need to have just good general health practices, but your carbs and fats can, or your, your carbs and fats can kind of fall where they may. You don't have to worry about it as much if you're stuffing yourself with pretty much, you know, fairly lean sources of protein. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So I find that I have the best body composition when I eat close to a gram per pound of my body weight, which I think is, you, you like absolutely have to stuff yourself. I mean, it's like, but I think for most people, 30 to 50 grams of protein three times a day is like a really good minimum when you look at utilization of amino acids. And if you're eating that level of protein with each meal, it's so satiating that I think that it, it just naturally keeps you, you know, in a, in a good energy balance. Um, I completely agree. I think that your, your meals, every single meal needs to be centered around 30 to 50 grams of protein. What's a typical day look like for you from a food perspective with having children 
and having Sergeant Seaman around. <laughs> well, luckily he just eats whatever I tell him to eat. But because um, I think that's hard when you have a partner that's not doing what you're doing, or they're just sitting over there eating a sack of Doritos. I mean, I think that's I think that's that's really hard. Your your house has to be aligned. Um, but when we first started, our kids were not eating what we were eating. So I'm sitting here making salmon and broccoli, and my kids were eating mac and cheese. Like I'm just going to be totally honest. Um, but a couple years ago I was like, okay, listen, there's no reason they can't eat what we eat. They're currently five, seven and nine. So my girls are young. They're still, you know, um, pretty flexible. They're not really set in their ways. And I've been amazed as we've transitioned to more carnivore, how much like my, my nine-year-old, if you ask her which one's for dinner, she will ask for a steak. Um, for her birthday, we're like, where do you want to go? And she chose like the most expensive chop house. And we're kind of like, <laughs> All right, let's go. Filet mignon. Um, but my day, so I wake up at 4.30 every day, woke up at 4.30 this morning, um, and I go to the gym at 5 a.m. I go fasted. I don't eat before I go. I typically just have like some salt, electrolytes. Um, I don't use pre-workouts or stimulants or anything like that. The one thing I've kind of played with because I'm a morning workout person is I was always like felt stuck. Like, ah, do I do post-workout protein or do I fast until noon? Because for a long time I was intermittent fasting. And so I felt like, Oh, am I missing the window if I wait until noon? So I've played with it a lot of different ways, but I typically am not hungry in the morning. So a lot of times, um, a lot of times I, I will wait and usually until 11 or 12 to eat my first meal. Um, it kind of depends what my current goals are. If I'm trying to build more muscle or if I'm trying to lean out or if I'm just kind of maintaining, but typically I eat just lunch and dinner. And those meals typically will be somewhere between a half pound to a pound of meat. Um, maybe some veggies if we have them around, um, you know, I might have a few, like I said, like nuts or berries or something here and there, but they're just not my priority with my meals. Um, I've done a little bit of, um, kind of flipping back and forth between keto and paleo. I've started to add some like squash and sweet potatoes in on more like high intensity interval days, just to see if it helps my perceived, like, you know, output in the gym or, or things like that. And I wear a continuous glucose monitor a lot of the time too. So as a pre-diabetic, I, you know, I'm interested too. And in like, what does this do with my blood sugars? And now that I'm insulin sensitive, I've been able to add whole food carbs back in like sweet potatoes and squash with like no issue at all. Um, and so I use those intermittently, but my, my meals look pretty boring and I eat a lot of the same things day in and day out. We eat a lot of steak for dinner. We have chicken occasionally and salmon, but we eat a lot of beef. Um, plus we live in Nebraska and we've got beef everywhere. Mm. And, um, and that's just how my husband and I, we feel the best. We have been able to maintain good body composition that way and strengthen the gym and, and for me, it's like being able to function. Like I live this crazy life as a physician and a mom of three and my husband's gone all the time. And the way that I used to live, I was so tired. I would like fall asleep at 8 PM. My workout sucked. If I did work out, um, just even my performance in the clinic and like, just my brain feels so much better when I put the right fuel in my body. Um, so my prediabetes is gone. My A1C is 4.9. I'm not on thyroid medication anymore. I don't really like to take supplements in general, um, just for like specific purposes for short periods of time. But, um, my, my days look the same a lot, a lot of the days. I think people need to, you know, just really attach themselves to a plan, you know, whatever it is, paleo, keto, carnivore, you know, hopefully it kind of falls into some of those categories, but they need to attach themselves to a plan because, uh, I used to find it 
to be really tricky to figure out like when to eat, where to go to eat. And I've seen a lot of people that have kind of nine to five jobs. Um, where to eat for lunch was always a huge thing. Like it was a big deal. You maybe only have a half an hour, maybe you have an hour, but then you have to try to find somewhere to park. You got to find something that is like economical. You got to find something that's convenient, that's close by. And it gives, puts a lot of stress on you. So I think a lot of times people are like, ah, oh, F it. I'm just going to go to McDonald's or I'm just going to, you know, roll through this fast food place and I'm going to, or I'm just not going to eat, you know, which is like a unplanned fast is not great. Especially if you ate in the morning, you probably mm. feel like crap. What has been the biggest change for yourself? Like when you're at work, you probably, a lot of times you probably don't really care about getting a break to eat food because you're probably just, you, you feel like you can run off of fat and you feel like you can run off the carbs if you need to, right? Yeah. When I first started, I was doing a lot more intermittent fasting um, when I had body fat to lose. And it was, it, it was great for me because what you're describing as an unplanned fast, like I might be stuck in the operating room with an emergency surgery. I might be stuck in the delivery room. And for me, that was great because my old life, my brain was literally centered around when my next meal was coming. I mean, that's all I could think about. Um, but then transitioning to this lifestyle, I didn't have to think about when my meals were or what I was going to eat. I just ate when I was hungry. Um, as I've gotten down to a, a leaner body composition, I, I find that I, I don't like to fast or extend fat. I don't feel great doing it at this body composition. So now I usually prep a bunch of beef on Sunday. So I usually sit at my desk and chart over the lunch hour. Like I don't have a half hour lunch hour where I get to like go run and grab like burger patties. I usually sit at my desk and ground beef bowls are like the stupid, simple lunch for me. Um, you know, I might throw some like whatever mustard or peppers or something on it just to change the flavor up. But a lot of times I'm just sitting at my desk eating a bowl of ground beef. And, and, and I agree with you, if I don't take something, then I, then I'm in this like panic mode. And if I can't find something that, you know, is going to make me feel good, then a lot of times I just skip lunch and then I come home and then I'm like raging hungry for dinner. Mm. So how did you handle, um, I guess that palate change because right now the, the foods that you're describing and the boring type of meals that you're eating, um, it's not anything comparable to the stuff that you ate in the past. And a lot of people have a lot of issues trying to eat, you know, eat meat or eat whole foods when they're very used to eating a lot of Doritos and a lot of ice cream. So as far as that's concerned, currently, do you still do you still have those foods in your diet every now and then? Do you still eat it a little bit here and there? Or is it just totally gone and you're mainly only eating whole foods? Yeah, so I definitely grew up eating the standard American diet, which was super hyper palatable. So mm -hmm. the combination of, of like fats and sugars and salt all together. Um, as we've transitioned in this lifestyle, I, I feel like my palate has changed. Like now when I eat something, like if I were to eat a candy bar or something like that, I don't even like love the taste of it that much. And it makes me feel so horrible. Um, we socially will sometimes like have those things, but I just, I don't feel that great to be quite honest. Um, it's interesting, like how your palate changes as you transition your diet um, I was not a great meat eater. Like as a young girl, I wasn't. And I think it was a texture thing. And now I love like steak and beef and chicken. And I've tried liver here and there. I can't, the organ meats are, I'm still a little iffy there, <laughs> but you put enough salt on it and you can usually, you can usually <laughs> taste it. But, um, the one thing from a texture perspective, when I did my first 30 days of like a straight carnivore diet was I wanted something crunchy. And I was so used to like, right. Like chips or, 
just any of those processed carbs. I just, there was something about that crunch that I really liked. And so, you know, occasionally we'll have pork rinds or something along those lines, but, um, that's, it's really mostly like a, a crunch thing for me that, that keeps me wanting to like eat some carbs. Yeah. And I think, uh, from that perspective, there's different foods that you can still cook up. I mean, you mentioned, uh, um, like sweet potatoes and things like that. I mean, you can make like, you know, sweet potato, like fries or sweet potato chips and you can get them a little crispy. I mean, it's not the same as, you know, eating chips and salsa, which is like everyone's kryptonite. Right. But it's still, it's still something, you know, and I, I always, uh, I'll always crave bread. I love bread, like some sourdough bread or something like that, but it's hard to, uh, you know, kind of lose those, those, um, those sensations of those textures. It's hard to, it's hard to kind of replace them with much of anything. But I think once you start to get momentum and you feel good about the plan that you're on and the, the, the uh, reward uh, outweighs everything else, then you're just like, you become tunnel vision with it. It takes time though. It takes many, many weeks and many, many months. A lot of times, how, how is it with some of your patients that you work with? You know, they're probably like, I mean, I, I've dealt with some people in the past that they barely even like protein sources. Mm. Like they barely even like any kind of meat. And it's like, oh man, I, I scratching my head. I'm like, I'm not sure, not even sure where to start. Yeah. Those are difficult patients. And I, it, luckily I don't have a lot of them, but I do have some patients and they, every single one of them says it's a texture thing. Like I can only eat chicken breast and they don't like beef or fish or whatever it is. So we figure out what proteins they can eat and we kind of start there. Um, I'm not opposed to adding in like whey protein shakes either just to get it's, it's, it digests a lot quicker. So I tell them that I'm like, listen, this isn't going to be as satiating as if you ate an actual chicken breast, but it's a way that they could get some more protein in um, to their life. And, and I just meet them where they're at and I'm like, okay, what will you eat? Um, and every single day. It's just like one day better, one day, the next day, the next day. And I just remind people that, listen, they always have this end goal in mind, right? I want to get off all my medications and lose a hundred pounds or whatever it is. But it's like, if you can't gain confidence in yourself to just lose one pound or to just do this for 24 hours, um, then who cares about the end goal? So for me, it's just like winning each of those little victories, like one meal at a time um, and and just breaking it down into those, those smaller bite-sized pieces for them. You know, I'm, I'm assuming you work with a lot of pregnant women, right? Yeah. 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 So my curiosity there lies with, uh, when, when women are pregnant, um, like I, I have a friend that she was recently pregnant and she was really, really, really worried about her nutrition during her pregnancy. Like she was scared of getting rid of carbs and she was, she was like, I want to make sure that this baby has all the nutrients it needs. Right. So if a mother is going into pregnancy and she's been someone who's been practicing a ketogenic diet beforehand, is there anything that she needs to think about while pregnant as far as making sure that everything comes through with the baby and she comes out with a healthy baby? Does she need to bring carbohydrates back in, even though she doesn't maybe like that? Like what, what should women think of there? Yeah. So of course, when I transitioned into this lifestyle, I started to get a lot more patients that were ketogenic. And so this was like a huge like question, because when you look at the literature, it says to not let a pregnant woman eat pregnant woman, eat less than 175 carbs per day. That seemed to be kind of this arbitrary lower threshold that the Institute of Medicine had put out. When you look at the extra nutrients that women need in pregnancy, and I say extra nutrients because it's really not a lot of extra calories. It's it's extra nutrients. It's only about 100 to 300 calories at, at most in a pregnancy. 
Um, but the, the nutrients, we need extra protein, we need extra choline, vitamin D. The nutrients that we need come from nutrient-dense animal foods. It doesn't come from fortified cereals and grains and, mm-hmm. and all these things. And when you look at if you were to be eating 50 to 60% of your calories from carbohydrates, it would be mathematically impossible to get the, the important nutrients that you need um, to grow a human baby. So when I break down a pregnant woman's diet, first of all, it kind of matters if she's coming into this pregnancy insulin sensitive or insulin resistant. Somebody that is, is low carb or ketogenic um, is probably doing well. Actually, they don't, they're actually kind of in a way, insulin resistant, right? They don't tolerate huge carb loads. And, and we can talk about that when we do the diabetes test at 28 weeks. But immediately when a woman becomes pregnant in the first trimester, the pancreas starts putting out about 30% more insulin. And so we actually see increased insulin sensitivity in the first trimester, but we see this huge amount of blood sugar dysregulation and women feel horrible. If you've ever seen a pregnant woman in the first trimester, they don't feel good. They don't have an appetite. They're super nauseous. They're super fatigued. And so even my most ketogenic, even my carnivore patients have a hard time with meat in the first trimester, but because of the good insulin sensitivity that we see in the first trimester, a lot of times it's just survival for these women. So I don't, you know, I don't let them get too down on what happens in the first trimester, but as we transition through the pregnancy overconsumption of carbohydrates in a pregnancy can be harmful you know, in medicine, we say do no harm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that carb consumption, carb recommendations to pregnant women need to be individualized. Um, when we get into the second, the third trimester, we have this physiologic state of insulin resistance that assures that there is a constant flow of both, both glucose and fatty acids going to this growing baby. And if you abuse carbs during the stage of the pregnancy, not only are you going to gain excessive weight, your baby is going to gain excessive weight, and it increases the lifetime risk for you and the baby for things like obesity, cardiovascular disease, and diabetes. So I think that we need to be cautious about how many carbs we're telling pregnant women to eat. Um, do you need a, should it be zero? I don't think it should be zero necessarily. Um, you know, I think some carbs is fine. Um, but I think, you know, 10 to 20 carbs with a meal is, is perfectly appropriate. I find most of my patients, um, may eat between 50 and 75, the ones that are ketogenic and, and that's, perfectly fine. And they've had healthy pregnancies and healthy babies. And I've been able to manage a ton of gestational diabetics with dietary therapy alone, which is incredible. Um, why do you think they produce 30% more insulin? Is that just to uh, maybe upregulate and uptake uh, more nutrients? Yeah, no, I think that this is the, the, I always say that the pregnant woman's body is team fetus. So it's going to do everything it can to assure that that baby is going to live on and perpetuate your DNA until the end of time. So unfortunately it does it at the cost of, of maternal health if you're not careful with your diet. But yes, um, the first trimester of pregnancy is largely anabolic. That's why we put out 30% more insulin and the last two thirds of pregnancy are, are mostly catabolic. So building the body up in the first trimester and then breaking it down in the second and the third. What kind of training is, uh, you know, viewed as a, like- I guess, generally healthy for a pregnant woman and, you know, how far should they take that? Like how, how long should they work out for? 
Yeah, great question. So we used to think it was dangerous for pregnant women to work out, um, mostly because the uterus is taking about 30% of cardiac output when you're pregnant. So it was scary to think that you're doing some type of training and you're pulling blood flow you know, away from the pregnant uterus to the muscles or to the periphery and that that could be harmful to a fetus. Um, but it's also harmful to tell a pregnant woman not to work out because we know that exercise and pregnancy actually improves pregnancy outcomes. Delivery in and of itself is a major physical feat. If you've never seen a woman birth a baby, um, it can be hours upon hours. I mean, it can be a marathon sometimes. And so you want the woman to be in good physical condition for, for childbirth to begin with. Um, we know that it decreases excessive maternal weight gain and decreases the risk of, of uh, gestational diabetes. So I think that exercise is important. Um, we tell women to work out at, at about an 80% max heart rate. And I tell women, you should just be able to talk while you're working out. So pregnancy clearly isn't the time to try to be, you know, doing PR lifts and things like that. But, but exercise at whatever level they came into the pregnancy is, is totally fine. And we've seen some cool studies on like high level elite, you know, Olympic athletes that have let us hook themselves up to the monitors during pregnancy and, and we haven't found any adverse you know, outcomes with these babies. So it's perfectly fine to do that. Now, there's two hormones that they have an excessive amount of, of progesterone and relaxin. And these two hormones loosen and lengthen ligaments and tendons in the body. So you're more prone to injury and your center of gravity is definitely changing as the uterus is getting larger. So sometimes modification is necessary. But I encourage all my women, even if they weren't working out prior to coming into pregnancy, to start exercising in pregnancy. So my wife, actually, this hits right where we're at right now. She just got the uh, the diabetes test done. Um, everything's totally fine. I don't remember where her markers were, but she's definitely in the healthy range. Um, she's She is training almost every day, like on weekdays, she's doing what she can. But do you ever... Uh, you know, advise or help, um, I guess, consult some of your patients as far as like the psyche of just gaining so much weight while pregnant. Um, she's doing great. She looks fantastic, but you know, yesterday she's just looking in the mirror. She's like, you know, raising her chin up. She's like, Oh my God, my face is so huge. And I'm like, I, I don't, I don't know what to say. You know, like I'm having a hard time. Like, like, no, like you're, it's hard for me to say like, no, you're supposed to gain weight, but it just, it doesn't, really hit right when the dude tells her straight up like <laughs> no this is good right and i mean like i said so we're we're heading into our third trimester now and you know for the past like month or so people have been asking her like oh my god like any day now right because she's she's a smaller girl and so she has a big belly so it looks like very she's very pregnant <laughs> i think she looks cute <laughs> she looks fantastic you know and, and i try telling her that every day and it's just like but this weekend she's just like noticing like wow like i am definitely showing signs <laughs> it's getting there yeah <laughs> so, it doesn't matter what you say it's the wrong thing <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely i i I feel that thankfully she's an amazing person, but yeah, I'm like, I'm going to just, I'm going to fuck this up. I'm going to put my foot right in my mouth. Because this is going to yeah. be bad. <laughs> People say to pregnant women, I do not get it. I was pregnant with my third and I, I, I gained too much weight. I mean, I gained 50 pounds probably with each pregnancy and I had close to nine pound babies, but People will be like, "Oh, are you having twins?" Like, mm -hmm. and it's always it's always a guy that says it. <laughs> she, uh, one of our, you look ready to burst. <laughs> one of our like good like friends, like a friend of the family. She's like, a, she's a you know older lady, but she's like, "Oh my god, you're having twins!" And it's like, oh, dude, god. why would you say that? I'm like, give me a break, woman. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's rough. It is rough because 
you're gaining weight, your belly's getting large, you know, you might start seeing stretch marks as you get close, like the last month of pregnancy, we have this increase in fluid retention that happens mm. you, know, you get really swollen, your face gets really puffy. And that's because that's a, another physiologic mechanism to retain a lot of extra fluid in case you bleed during childbirth. I mean, these are things your body is doing to protect you, but from a emotional psychosocial, you know, it's, it is very hard. Your body is changing in ways that you've never seen it. And then you have this, you know, you, bring home this cute little baby and the world paints this like rainbow and butterfly picture of, of having a baby and what postpartum life is like. And now you're like breasts are engorged and your the uterus is shrinking, but you still have all this skin left. I mean, it is, it is a rough, rough time for women, especially with like the social pressures of that women should just like snap back and bounce back. And I experienced that through all three of my pregnancies and it is, it is, it is very difficult. It's hard. And you really have to lean on, on your kind of inner circle for, for that emotional support and help. Yeah. And as far as like, you know, the, the get back, you know, cause she's seeing, you know, and of course this is just bad all together to be looking on social media for this sort of thing, but you know, like she'll follow mom groups or whatever and be like, Oh my God, this girl is only like three months postpartum and uh, or post pregnancy. I'm not even sure if I use the right word. Um, and she's like already has abs and stuff. Um, so as far as like training, after um pregnancy should she follow the same kind of like uh 80 of the um uh max heart rate type thing or should it can she like maybe bump it up a little bit or should she remain there or even less because of you know going through such a, a um a, you know experience yeah so people that have a vaginal delivery typically don't have any physical restrictions after mm. after childbirth like the doctor's not going to tell them to like wait a certain amount of time for exercise or like don't lift more than, you know, X amount of weight. Like we would tell somebody that had C-section, but the, the thing that's super important postpartum is that the pelvic floor has just birthed a baby. And so um, just like if you tore your quad muscle, right, you'd have to rehab it before you get back under the squat bar and try to squat 500 pounds. So we need to rehab the pelvic floor. And I, I hope that in the future that this is something that we start to focus on more is getting more patients into like pelvic floor physical therapy. Um, but that's the important part because what a lot of women do is they see their flabby tummy and they want to start working. They want their six pack back and they want to start working their abdominal muscles. But um, the, the core and the belly and the pelvic floor are, are very interconnected. And so we have to be conscious about about training both those things and make, making sure that they're engaging the right muscles and doing a little bit more biofeedback before we just like throw them out there, you know, doing what they were doing, you know, pre-pregnancy from a cardio perspective, you know, they can, they can really do anything. The baby's out of their uterus, you know, if they want to go hundred percent max heart rate, I mean, have at it. I'll tell mm -hmm. you, you're very deconditioned. <laughs> mm -hmm. You're not at the level you were, you know, so I tell patients like ease back into it. It took you nine months to get here. It'll take you nine months, you know, sometimes to get back and, and that's okay um, too. But from a strength training perspective, we have to be very conscious about the pelvic floor um, and their core. And how about uh, nutrition wise? Um, I know, um, you know, breastfeeding can really deplete a woman, but like, should she maybe start focusing more on like, I don't know, more fats or more carbs, like once the baby has arrived? Yeah. So you need all the same nutrients you need in pregnancy, but you need even more of them. So now mm -hmm. here's where calories do matter. So in pregnancy, maybe a hundred to 300 extra calories, 
breastfeeding could be 500 calories or more for breastfeeding. So I do, I never recommend like intermittent fasting of any kind for a breastfeeding woman. They need to be eating, you know, all hours of the day to make sure that they're getting those calories in, but they need to be nutrient dense calories. Um, because when you look at the nutrients you need, you know, lots of nutrient dense animal foods, eggs, meat, um, all those products are, are great and not the empty, you know, carb calories. Can you have more carbs while you're breastfeeding? Absolutely. But we've done studies looking at people who have been low carb and have transitioned through lactogenesis and, and breastfeeding, eating low carb, and they make the same amount of milk. Um, they, their supply is great. The one thing I caution people in is every pregnant woman has a baby. And because of this, like want to snap back, bounce back mentality, they start some new lifestyle and whether they are conscious of it or not, they start restricting calories or nutrients and they will see a drop in, in, in supply. So I caution women, like don't do anything crazy or extreme um, just because the baby's out now um, because it really can hurt your, your uh, milk supply. So a paleo style diet, a keto styled keto ish diet and a Mediterranean style diet, those diets would probably all be uh, welcome, right? nutrient-dense whole foods. And I wanted to ask this, I uh, hate to backtrack, but I'm, I'm curious what your high threshold recommendation would be for while a woman's pregnant. You said that the medical board or whatever, that their threshold is like a minimum of one, some 175 carbs. What would your, I know every situation is different, but what would your general maximum amount of carbohydrate uh, be in terms of your recommendation for women while pregnant? If you have one. Uh, you're talking about just carbohydrates, just carbohydrates. Well, okay. So here's the deal, right? Is that if we keep protein, a certain threshold, as you're eating more carbs, you're trading it for fat, right? Cause we know that high fat, high carb is a, a bad combination, even in pregnancy. So when we look at fat though, there definitely is a lower threshold limit for fat. So, you know, we for sure don't want a woman. I believe the Institute of medicine says no less than like 25 grams per day or something, which is like ungodly low in my opinion, because if you're eating nutrient dense animal foods, like trust me, you're eating more than 25 grams of fat. So that's where we kind of have to balance it. You know, as far as the upper carbohydrate threshold, if we look at people who are eating 50 to 60% of their calories from carbs, I mean, they could be eating in the ballpark of 250 to 400 carbs, right. Depending on how big this woman is. So I think that's what we have to balance. Um, you know, my patients that are insulin sensitive though, you know, when we, when we look at the physiologic insulin resistance of pregnancy, even in somebody that's quote insulin sensitive, I mean, I think 30 to 50, you know, carbs per, per meal is absolutely appropriate. And, you know, that would still put the woman in 150 to 200, you know, range. I don't think eating over 250 to 300 is, I feel like when you get to that threshold of carbohydrate intake, you're probably losing out on, on some nutrient dense foods. Got it. Nine months is also a long, a long time, you know, and I'm sure you probably go through a lot of, uh, you're going through a lot of hormonal changes and probably a lot of emotional, uh, changes. So probably the worst thing that someone can do is just say, Hey, like, you know, screw it. I'm just going to go for it because uh, I'm eating for two, <laughs> right? Like that mentality probably needs to uh, maybe be put to rest and just thinking about more nutrients, not necessarily just, uh, you know, going off of every, every craving that you have for yourself personally. Um, were those cravings hard to deal with? Did you eat, um, you know, healthy, like, you know, 80% of the time, 70% of the time, 90% of the time? Yeah. So 
I mean, I tried to eat healthy, but I'll be the first to admit, like half price Sonic milkshakes. I was like, let's go. (laughs) I totally used pregnancy as an excuse for things like that. And I think as a society, we like allow that, right? Like, oh, you're pregnant, like have some more, you know, eat some more, but it's dangerous. It really is. You could probably Um, do a little bit of it though, right? I mean... In everything in moderation. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but I think when you're when you're pregnant, moderation's hard because you have this phys- you have this physiologic insulin resistance, right? But you also have physiologic leptin resistance. Ooh. And that's to maintain the maternal appetite. So when people say like, you know, pregnancy cravings, like it is real. Like your appetite is raging all the time. And when you come out of the first trimester and you have these, like, you don't feel good, you have food aversions and you, fu- you suddenly hit the second trimester wind, you know, and your appetite's coming back. I mean, it, it's easy to overconsume. It's very easy to overconsume. And so I think you have to be cautious with that, you know, that you're still getting the nutrients that you need and not eating a bunch of empty calories. I'm not saying you can't have it. I'm not saying one Sonic milkshake is going to give your baby two heads, but um, <laughs> I think you have to be, I think you have to be careful with it. You mentioned earlier about um, fasting, uh, aside from uh, pregnancy now, just uh, talking about fasting kind of more in general. Um, have you found for yourself that you have uh, maybe overdone fasting at times? And have you had clients that have, uh, we're huge fans of fasting, but I, I also think sometimes people can get into a situation uh, where they're overdoing it. And then we'll sometimes see people like yourself who look great. looks like you're in great shape. looks like you're fit. And you mentioned that you've kind of, uh, you use some fasting, but you're not fasting for really long, long periods of time. Um, I think that people may maybe need to have a healthier outlook on it. Like if you're already pretty lean, you're already doing pretty good. Uh, unless you're doing it for s- some other specific reason, maybe, uh, maybe you just need to pay attention to, you know, if you're going to be, if you're overdoing it, I guess. Yeah. I think just like most things, it's like a U-shaped curve. Um, I think that fasting definitely has benefits. And I think for a lot of people, it helps them maintain compliance, calorie compliance, like, you know, but if it is creating, if, if the one thing I see with intermittent fasting is if it's creating behaviors of like binge and restrict, like I'm going to eat one meal a day and then you come home and gorge yourself on 3,500 calories, then you're defeating the purpose, right? So everything has to have, you know, be mindful of it and have a purpose for it. Um, Same thing with extended fasting. And so um, as I have gotten down to this lower body composition, I'm like, okay, well, what's my goal here? And, you know, for the past year, I've been very diligent about trying to maintain my lean body mass. And, and, and I just don't do, I used to do like 60, 72 hour fasts and I could do them with pretty good ease, but, um, I don't feel as great doing it now. And I think it always just has to be in context of your goals. And the other thing I remind patients is that fasting is a stress on the body, right? It's a purposeful, it's a purposeful stress on the body. We're purposely doing it, you know, for a reason, but just like anything, just as hard as we train, we have to recover the same amount. And so um, we just have to be cautious with overuse of fasting um, and, and really kind of put it in context of what our goals are. Cause I, I see people they are like, Oh, I just won't eat for a week. <laughs> like that can come with, with downsides too. Now. Uh, so you, you mentioned that like you, you don't fast as long now, but did you naturally feel, um, like that longer fast just didn't work well because you're leaner? Like, did you yeah, just like I, my tol- my tolerance for extended fasting, yeah. um, went down as my body fat went down. That makes total sense though. I mean, you're not working with, with as much body fat. 
So, yeah. and, and now I have a question for you as far as your, your patients are concerned, um, because we've had doctors on here and doctors that have talked about women and fasting and some of them have gone as far as saying that it's unsafe for women to fast for extended periods of time. So I'm curious what your take is on that, because I mean, when I heard that, I kind of was just like, uh, kind of sounds like BS a little bit. So what, what's your, what's your take on that? Well, there's people that say that women shouldn't follow a ketogenic diet because it drives up their cortisol and right. Mm. I mean, you're going to hear everything um, because I take care of a lot of women. Um, like I said, fasting is a stress. So every single month, a woman's body has these nutrient sensing pathways and these nutrient sensing pathways are tied in with our hormonal pathways. And these hormonal pathways set our menstrual cycle. Basically every single month, the woman's body is trying to decide if this is a good time to grow another human or not. So once again, in context of our goals, if you're a morbidly obese woman with insulin resistance, doing some fasting is probably great. Get to your, get to your, you know, goal body weight, get some insulin sensitivity, and then maybe back off on the fasting a little bit. Um, if you are trying to get pregnant and you are at a normal body weight, then doing a bunch of fasting is probably working in opposition of, of your goals of, of fertility. I mean, I've seen people, you know, get to too low of estrogen levels and lose their menstrual cycle and these things with, with a lot of fasting. Um, now in my, let's go to the other end of the range, my premenopausal menopausal patients, as women transition through perimenopause and menopause, and they lose their estrogen, they get more insulin resistance. We start to see an increase in visceral fat deposition. They start losing their lean body mass. This is a great time to add in intermittent fasting because they need less calories, which is a hard truth to, to swallow. And so intermittent fasting is great because it helps them create compliance in their lifestyle. Um, so once again, it always just has to be like, where is this woman starting at? Is fasting going to be beneficial or, or is it going to hurt what our goals are? And, and always in moderation. I mean, are you doing long fasts or is this just like you're going 14 hours without food? Like I find that most patients can fast 16 hours and still get adequate nutrients and calories in eight hours. Like I don't find that there's many patients that really need a larger eating window than eight hours. Occasionally, occasionally pregnant women and breastfeeding women, probably for sure. But I think that most people can intermittent fast 16, eight without, without much problem, even women. Tell us about the Titan games. How did that, uh, how did that all come to be? Yeah. The Titan games with the rock. Everybody wants to know what he's like. He's super. Well, have, you, have you met him? Yeah. I've met the rock before. Yeah. Long, yeah. many, many years ago. Um, so when the season one came out, I was in the operating room doing surgery and a scrub tech turned to me and was said, you should apply for Titan games. I had no idea what she was talking about. Uh, I had to go home and Google it actually. And when I pulled it up, I thought this looks like American gladiators. And as a little girl, I loved watching American gladiators. I thought it was so badass. diamond was like my favorite girl. And so, um, I pulled up the application and I looked what you had to do to apply. And you had to do like a plank in real time, like as long as you could like max plank, um, 10 pull-ups, 10 push-ups, nine pull-ups, nine push-ups, like in succession, all this crazy stuff. Meanwhile, you're supposed to be like interviewing <laughs> while you're doing it. And at the time, I don't, I think I could do like one pull-up. I was like, there's no way that I can, there's no way I can be on the show. All these self-limiting thoughts that I had. And mind you, I had literally just gotten back into the gym lifting weights again. So, I mean, I was coming off like a year of just doing like pure bar and Pilates so I was finally back in the gym. So I was like, 
okay, I'm going to start training my pull-ups. And so I started training pull-ups, started doing like weightlifting again, heavy weights. And I had started following Titan games on social media. So months went by the rock puts out a video. We're looking for people for season two. We're looking for everyday heroes. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I'm a mom, I'm a doctor. Like I finally got my diet in check. I'm my, what changed was started as changing my diet, literally changed everything about my life, literally everything. And I just thought, what if you apply it? You don't make it. Nobody will, nobody will ever know. (laughs) So I pull up the application again. It's the same freaking application as the year before. Um, and I just thought, what a great opportunity would this be to show your three little girls? I mean, it had been 13 years since I competed. I mean, those trophies back there, like I had put that part of my life like to rest. And so I applied and found out months later that I was invited out to their combine. So you actually have to fly out to LA. You have to try out in a combine. They're bringing like a hundred people out there. It's like a VO2 max test, max deadlift, all this, all this crazy stuff. And you're totally humbled because these are like super fit people, super inspiring, like the best in whatever they do. And, um, they ended up selecting 18 women and 18 men for the show. So I got a call a week later that I was selected, flew down to Atlanta. We filmed in Atlanta, um, right outside because the rock actually films all of his projects. I believe in Atlanta, he moved there in Atlanta Metro Studios, So he was able to walk between his Netflix, uh, red notice movie over to the Titan game. <laughs> and he, I think he was like going back and forth while we were filming, Um, but I made it to the, to the end top six. I was living in a hotel room for 26 days while I was competing and God, it felt so good. It like reignited this like competitive fire being an athlete again. Oh, it felt so good. You guys, (laughs) I mean, I just can't say, and to have my little girls down there watching me, I mean, I knocked out two Olympians. I was super proud. It was, um, it definitely is not everyday stuff. Like people say, well, how did you train? Well, first of all, I had very short notice once you find out you're on the show and the stuff, the rock picks for these things. I mean, like scaling chain link fences. And I mean, there's just no, there's no way to train for it. It's, how hard it's was crazy. some of that stuff? It yeah, looks really difficult. How, how tough was some of these uh, exercises? It looked brutal. Well, it was kind of luck of the draw. So you show up to filming And they walk you out there. Like, you know, you're competing that day, but they walk you out there and they're like, okay, this is what you're going to do. You're going to jump onto this chain link fence and like go around it and then jump down and then pull these chains. You don't get to touch it. So you can ask questions. You're like, okay, how heavy is that ball? Mm. And they may or may not tell you, but we never got to like run through it or touch it. So when you see the episode, like three, two, one, go, that's the first time that we have tested it, tried it. They test, they, they bring in those ninja, those ninja people to like test out the stuff to make sure like no one's going to die. Ninja people. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just crazy. Like literally you show up and they're like, okay, this is what you're going to do. And, uh, we're going to run you through hair and makeup and do some interviews and, and then you're going to race. And so it depended like what it was just luck of the draw. Like you may get, you may get a challenge that is more advantageous if you're bigger, or you may get something that's more mm-hmm. advantageous if you're faster or can jump higher or, and I think they tried to level in the very first round. I think they tried to level people's physical capabilities, right? They want it to be a good competition for TV, but a, a lot of it was just luck of the draw. What did you learn about yourself going through that process? These like challenges that he picks, it is literally like pushing you to your absolute 
max physical capacity, but your mental capacity. Um, like when you see it on TV, you're definitely seeing an edited down version. Like many of those competitions lasted way longer. Like for instance, the lunar impact one where people are pushing that wall. Some of those went on like 20 plus minutes. Um, the kick out one that I was involved in. I mean, some of those went on way longer than what you saw on TV. And so it was definitely like at that max point in your mind where you're just like, this like i'm done you know like you just want to quit you want to be done and it's always like as an athlete it was always like no like one more rep like this is where we're like we're growing here like this is where we get better and so i mean like i said it had been 13 years since i was like at that point and it really taught me a lot about the fact that basically i decide when it's done and that's i've really started to live my life since 2015, 2016 with just like this gratefulness that I woke up this morning and I get an opportunity to be alive today. And I'm not going to take one day for granted. And it was really to just, you know, show my girls that you can literally do anything in life. And for me, it was also breaking those barriers of like women being strong and having muscles and that like, you can be a doctor and you can be a mom and you can be strong. And and we haven't even talked about it. I won Mrs. Nebraska this year and I'm competing for Mrs. America. I mean, it's just really just breaking all, you know, out of all those boxes for me and just showing women that you can literally be anything you want if you're willing to work for it. So even though you felt like you were finished, you weren't done until you were done. Right. Yeah, exactly. Post Titan games did, um, did this like ignite anything in terms of like you athletically after doing what you what you did there because i'm assuming like doing something like that you haven't done something like that in a long time yeah yeah i know a lot of people are like okay what's next what's next but um i mean i i work full-time as a physician i don't have any plans to leave my clinical practice i love my patients i love doing surgery i love delivering babies um i'm still working out at the same level i was pre-titan games so i'm still doing lots of resistance training i mean people have asked like are you going to go into CrossFit? Are you going to start doing Spartans? Are you going to do this? And, and I'm not really sure yet. I won Mrs. Nebraska and right now. I have full intention of, of competing and giving my best at Mrs. America. So that's kind of where my time and energy is at right now. Um, but I, I told you guys it like relit this competitive fire in me and it felt so damn good. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I'm talking about Miss Nebraska. Is that just, is that a, uh, like a pageant? Yeah, like a straight up beauty pageant. I have never in my entire life. That's got to be different. It kind of started almost on a dare. I have a neighbor who's a former Miss South Dakota, and she's like, you should run for Mrs. Nebraska. And I was like, you think that these quads are going to wear high heels and walk in a swimsuit on stage? You've lost your ever loving mind. And, um, (laughs) but I applied. And for me, it was kind of like, okay, let's show the world that a woman can have muscles and brains and be a beauty queen. And so I applied and because of COVID things kept getting pushed back. And I thought in my mind, like this is never happening and this is never happening. And then finally in August it happened and I won. Um, and now I'll be competing at Mrs. America in January in Las Vegas. And, um, once again, and you guys will love this. My three sponsors are a beef company an organ supplement company and a salt company. Um, (laughs) what better message to take to the stage? I just feel like it's another, you can name the companies if you want. What? You can name the companies if you'd like. Oh, yeah, that's fine. So Piedmontese Beef, uh, Real Salt, and Ancestral Supplements. 
So um, I just think it's another way to continue to break these social barriers that like you can be smart and you can be strong. Like I want women to, and it's funny because one of my pageant coaches is like, don't, don't get too ripped. Don't get too ripped before January. I'm like, do you understand how this works? Like my quads are not going anywhere. Okay. (laughs) Neither are my delts. Have uh, Have you had an opportunity to see some of the Piedmontese cows being out there in Nebraska? I think that's where the, that's where they're, they're at. Right. Beautiful new facility that I, I don't get back to Lincoln all too often. My husband works down there, but every time it's on the way to my parents' house. So actually yesterday I just drove by there again. They have this like beautiful new restaurant and storefront and, and processing facility. Their, their cattle are, um, not all over the place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're down a little ways, like an hour away, but, uh, it's cool to have them right here in my backyard and it's dang good beef. It was really good. Honestly, probably the best grass-fed, grass-finished meat I've ever tried in my life. Yeah, they sponsor this show as well, and uh, we we love it. Like it's just it's been a real game changer for us because the the meat is so lean, but it's still tender. And yeah. I think maybe you might have experienced the same thing when you see how lean it is. You're like, there's just there's no possible way that this tastes good, or it's going to take me three hours to eat this, you know, four ounce <laughs> thing of steak. But it it is tender. It does taste amazing. Yeah, it's delicious. And uh, like, like I said, I've never had a grass finished, grass fed, grass finished that, that doesn't taste a little different. And I, I don't know. I think you can put them side by side and most people couldn't tell the difference. It's, it's quality. And I do like how it's leaner because I, um, I'm one of those people who, um, well, I have a, I have a gene for saturated fat. I don't do as well with like high amounts of saturated fat. So like the super fatty beef, like I have to eat leaner anyway, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm trying to lean out I, for a while, I was like having to eat more chicken, but now with Piedmontese, I can still stick with a lot of beef. I, I have a quick question. You said, um, you mentioned that you, you started waking up grateful every day, uh, back in 2015, 2016, like you started focusing on that. Did, did something happen specifically in that, at that time that made you think about that? Yeah. Yeah, actually it did. So March of, sorry, I have a new puppy. (laughs) The dogs are like chasing each other around. Um, In March of 2015, I actually lost one of my best friends. So we were both pregnant at the same time. I was pregnant with my third daughter. She was pregnant. She got a very, very, very rare fungal infection in her lungs. And the doctors missed the diagnoses. And I watched her die in a hospital bed for, for 10 days before she, before she passed. And it was this, pivotal moment in my life where I felt like medicine had failed her. I felt like I just felt like a failure. Like here I was with like two preventable medical conditions. I had prediabetes, low thyroid function. I just lost my best friend. Like, I just felt like I couldn't get my life together. And I said, I I really went internal with it. And I was like, listen, I got to, how do I expect to give to the world? Like, how do I expect to be a mom and be a doctor and do all this if I can't like feel at home in my own body. (laughs) So I just started controlling the controllables and I changed my diet and I started working out again. And I started, you know, finding ways to de-stress better and I found ways to sleep better. And when I say it changed my whole world, it really did because it changed the way that I practice medicine. It changed my marriage. It changed the way I look at my three kids. And it really just gave me something to wake up for every single day and live my life with a different purpose and a different passion. And I hate that we have to have reminders like that as humans. Like we just are so ungrateful Mm -hmm. and it always takes like those big things. And I had, I mean, I'd had bad things happen to me, you know, in my lifetime, but 
this one just like really shook me to my core. And I just thought, listen, you know, you can live the next 30 years of your life and you're going to develop type two diabetes and you're going to eat so crappy that your kids are going to be on the same train to where you're at. Um, and I just decided to completely change the trajectory of my life. You seem like a, an amazing uh, mother, you know, it seems like you're balancing a lot of different things and with your work and with everything else that you're doing. Um, did you uh, have a good upbringing or did, is there, was there somebody in your life that was a good mentor, a role model, your mom, your dad? Yeah. So my dad was a collegiate athlete, but like super like bullheaded, hard, hard nose, like um, every day you get better, get, get worse. It was like a lot of tough love for my dad. Um, my mom, on the other hand is she was like a nurse, like very nurturing, like look up loyal in the dictionary dictionary. There's her face. Like she was at every single game in the front row of the bleachers. Um, she's the one that encouraged me to go to medical school. Um, but I always kind of say, like, I tried to take like the best of my mom and the best of my dad and like <laughs> the worst of each of them and leave it aside. I mean, it was like, um, they're, they're very opposite people, but I feel like they, I don't feel like I had like a rough upbringing by any means, by any means, but, um, there, there was a lot of tough love. I mean, I had like a 10 PM curfew. Like I was a straight laced kid up and, you know, up until college. And then I made a few college, you know, stupid mistakes, just like everybody does. But, um, no, I had a great upbringing and I, you know, love my parents to death. They, they really gave me all the tools I needed to succeed. And, and I wouldn't be here without them. My, my mother is like, um, you know, she's one of my role models. She, she works her ass off and she's so loyal and she puts up with my dad for God's sake. (laughs) (laughs) I love you, dad. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. You had said something I I don't want, we don't have to get too far deep into the weeds, but about a certain gene where saturated fat kind of messes with you. What, how would you figure that out? And what exactly is that? Yeah. So a couple of years ago, I got into the kind of this world of like nutrigenomics, like how our body interacts with our external environment based on our genes, because we're all different, right? The way that like I eat and Mark eats and you eat, like mm-hmm. we all respond differently to different diets. And that's why I, I hate like social media, like people get a little dogmatic that like the way I do it is like the way to do it. <laughs> it's just not true. I think there's a lot of different ways to optimal health and be your own expert and figure it out. But I did this, um, you know, nutrigenomic testing and I found out some interesting things because I feel best eating very meat-based, very carnivore. We'll come to find out that I have, um, I have a gene where I don't convert vitamin A from plants. Well, so I have to get a lot of vitamin A sources from, from animal foods, same as, um, EPA and ALA. So omega threes from plants, I don't convert those into DHA well in the body. Um, and, and a couple other genes. I mean, I could go on. Um, so it kind of makes sense that I actually feel and function the best eating a very nutrient dense animal diet, but I do have this gene for saturated fat, um, where it can basically, it it could increase my risk of cardiovascular disease. And then like, here I am eating this meat based diet. I was like, Oh my God. (laughs) So I went to coronary artery calcium scan and it was zero, but I do have heart disease in my family. Um, I had a grandmother that had like significant atherosclerosis and like dissected her aorta and and a couple other things. And my own dad is a diabetic. My parents are both diabetics and my dad has high blood pressure. So of course, like these are things in the back of my mind, but what I've noticed is that when I'm trying to get leaner, it does seem that I have to cut out 
not all saturated fat, but I have to start eating more percent of calories from mono unsaturated and polyunsaturated. Um, it's just, it's just totally interesting to me to, to do this kind of testing. And, and of course, like the genetics genomics world, I mean, that volume of information is like ever expanding, but I think it's interesting. I think there's a lot of companies that are trying to do a lot of direct to consumer, like take this test, like we'll check your blood or your saliva and we'll tell you how to eat. I don't think it's quite that simple, but um, I think it's super interesting. What are some I think some people don't even have a basic under basic understanding of like calories and macros. <laughs> so the genetic testing might be getting into the weeds for those kind of people. But I think for the people that are kind of the biohacker world, like looking for like the next level and, and things like that, I think it's interesting information. Yeah. I'm sorry. Too, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I'm just super curious. Cause like, so what does um, eating like a higher saturated, even just like cut of meat, like saturated fat, uh, cut of meat, or just in general, more saturated fat. What does that make you feel like? Sorry, repeat that question. <laughs> uh, no, no worries. I'll just, uh, uh, it's okay. Uh, so I was just asking, um, like when you do eat a lot higher or a lot more saturated fat, does it make you feel a certain type of way? Or like, do you feel sick or like, what is it about that? Like, how do you feel when you do eat a, uh, a more um, higher saturated like cut of meat even? I don't really feel different. Okay. I, um, I've had problems with acne in my life. And actually the month that I went completely carnivore, um, I had some problems with acne and I didn't know if it was like the sourcing of my meat or like what it was. Um, but the only thing that I really notice is that it's very hard for me to cut body fat when I'm eating a lot of mm. saturated fat. I don't feel different. It's not like my stomach hurts. I don't feel like more fatigue. My training feels the same. Um, it's, I've literally just noticed that it's harder for me to cut body fat when I eat a lot more saturated fat. And that's why, that's why the Piedmontese beef, like I said, is amazing because it's a lot leaner and I can still get the protein amount that I need. Cause that was the thing. I was like, well, if I need the protein, then I got to go to leaner sources. So I either got to start eating like chicken and fish or, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I hated to cut out the beef, but it was like, I had to figure out ways to get less saturated fat. Yeah. Same here. That's why, um, like the flat iron from Piedmontese is insane. So much protein, so little fat. But, um, for me, like when I do eat like a, a big old fatty ribeye, I feel real heavy and like almost like my stomach starts cramping up a little bit, but I was just curious if maybe this had something to do with it or I'm still just, uh, honestly just still learning how to just eat right. Cause it's been a, it's been a process for me, but that's really interesting. I'm really curious to see, um, what a test like that would say about me. Yeah, you should do it. And it's not that expensive. I mean, most okay. of them are 150, 200, 300 bucks at most for the testing. And, um, I did it through a company called Nutrigenomics and they um, have added more genes now. It's cool because they, when COVID came out, they found like some genes that look at like your vitamin D and your like immune system. And so they've been emailing me updated reports. And I know, um, uh, I know there's lots of other companies, Stratagene, we could like name off a bunch, but, uh, but it's, there's, there's testing out there and it's not that expensive. Nice. Is it blood or saliva? Uh, this is a, this is a cheek swab test. Cheek swab. But they just send you like the kit to your house. You like collect it and, and send it in. Okay, cool. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Are you uh, working on a book or anything? I think you should be if you're not. <laughs> <laughs> I have actually a couple projects in the works. Um, I, my problem is I have a couple different book ideas that I'm working on. I had intended to start a podcast and that didn't happen, but because I just am getting ever since Titan Games and now Mrs. America, I'm getting pulled in all these different directions. You got to wake up at 3.30. 
Yeah. No, I didn't. Right? <laughs> <laughs> There's only so many hours in the day, but I started a YouTube channel, which has been good to get like more content out. I'm, I'm pretty active on social media when I can be. So what's the YouTube channel? Uh, Dr. Fit and Fabulous is all my social media platforms. So it's on YouTube, um, Instagram, and Facebook. Amazing to have you on the show today. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. All right. Have a great rest of your day. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Damn, another good one, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that was good. That was really good. Man, she knew a lot. A lot of stuff. (laughs) She did. And she's doing a lot of stuff yeah yeah i love that you know she's just like oh yeah i did this and did that and it's like oh wait mrs nebraska and you're gonna compete for miss america Mm -hmm. and you're Mm -hmm. a doctor and you were on the titan games yeah some craziness going on over there yeah and it was cool how you said like oh you thought that you know you were over and done with it but like actually you weren't that's pretty that's i don't know that's pretty inspiring i think Mm -hmm. (laughs) i like a lot of the pregnancy information we got here because uh that's so helpful um, man <laughs> this podcast is going to be the reference whenever that may happen at some point and yeah yeah well no what she said about you know the like your her, you know stephanie's body's like harboring blood because of like the upcoming you know delivery and stuff and mm-hmm. so it's i can now go home and say like hey like that's why you know you're like noticing a little bit something here and there like it's not because you're getting fat it's not because you're you know eating too much or whatever you're actually supposed to be in a surplus by this much because i just was just told this just find the timestamp and maybe just play it in the house don't say anything yeah. because i feel like if you say it you're just gonna be like i'm just editing this i don't know why it's so loud but <laughs> <laughs> edit it. like oh no it's like a record it keeps getting stuck on this mm-hmm. one spot over and over <laughs> oh, but yeah man. super cool yeah, she had some uh, great information. I liked uh, a lot of stuff on nutrition, too. I think mm. just in general, she uh, has a good understanding of it. And um, she tried some different things. Uh, one thing we fr- I forgot to ask her about was she did a, a three-day test, uh, which doesn't you know show much of anything. But I, I think it was three days where she did uh, like a carnivore diet, a vegan diet. And I forget what the other one was. Um but her main thing wasn't to discredit anybody or anything like that. It was just to kind of show, because she does wear the continued uh, glucose monitor. Mm. And she was just saying, like, with whole foods, it's still just really hard to figure out how to eat uh, vegan, you know, and mm. and, and, and to um, not to necessarily just be healthy, but to be, like, functional and to be able to perform well, you know. And I, I, always, I always kind of scratch my head at that. I'm like, I don't really know. I don't know how. I don't know how people that are vegan do it. Um, it just seems, uh, it just seems like a real uphill battle. I do understand, uh, what people are trying to do. Um, because sometimes people just, they don't want to participate in the slaughtering of animals, the killing of animals, but, uh, I don't think there's any way around that. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, I think that you can say, Hey, I'm just not going to place my dollars towards that because I don't believe in that. And that's fine. I guess that's your own, uh, personal beliefs, but I mean, you can kind of you can point it out in many different ways, but when you are eating all the vegetables, the vegetables are what the animals eat, and uh, the way that they farm that stuff drives animals out of those areas and so forth. And so it's like it's just not feasible for you to save everybody. Yeah, <laughs> a whole lot of carbs. Yeah, yeah, it a whole can be, lot of carbs yeah. to be able to do that. It can be for a lot of people because they're you know they're like oh this is vegan, this mm-hmm. doesn't have any animal product in it. 
I'm going to eat this packaged piece of food. But then we see people sometimes do that with keto too. Oh, this says keto on it. So this is perfect. But you're Mm -hmm. like, that has 25 grams of fat, which might be okay if that's, if you have it once a day and you're paying attention. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But do you really want 25 grams of fat to come from your coffee? You know, like it, it, it might be okay. It might be, it might fit into everything that you're doing. It might be fine. Uh, but it's just something to consider, something to think about. Mm. Flying, flying Dutchman's keto. So I'm going to have 15. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, I like Even if sh- I'm not on keto. No, that's true. <laughs> but it's really though how like she was traditionally trained for years and everything she's doing now is an exact, like just slamming of that training in school. It's it's kind of crazy to me because that that shows how much of an uphill battle just normal civilians like us um, are having to fight against recommendations mm-hmm. from their potential doctor or from their potential like someone who's trying to help them with this. It, it, everything that you might want to do is going to be in total opposition to the, the mm-hmm. advice you're getting. And that's tough to hear. And it might you know I'm sure it has to do with our own bias. You know we we believe certain things on this show. Um, but I don't think we've had one like practicing physician on the show who's ever really promoted carbohydrates. You know, think about like people that actually work with patients, mm-hmm. you know, not, not a diet coach. There's been some diet coaches who are like, fuck mm-hmm. yeah, you need carbs, right. build muscle. Cause maybe they're a bodybuilding coach. Right. But other than that, I can't think of one person who's been like, you need a lot of carbs, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and you just have to always remember the human body the human body makes carbs. It makes it for us. So we don't, we don't necessarily need to have it come from our diet. Now, if you're trying to build muscle, you're smaller, you want to be bigger. Um, I would say that carbohydrates will help you get bigger faster. And that, that is probably a good idea. Uh, what, uh, the doctor was pointing out on the today's show when she said she sometimes isn't sure what to do post-workout because she's like, I don't know if I want to hold more. But like for her, it doesn't appear that holding muscle mass is a problem. Nope. You know, and I would say the same thing to like Encima. Like if you're thinking like, oh, I, you know, if you're trying to maximize something, I guess it's a different conversation and you can play with it and you can see uh, if you feel better or body fat composition changes. But like it doesn't look like holding muscle mass is like a real, you know, really problematic for you. So do you need to really sweat? what you have post-workout only if your jujitsu dropped off, then you'd have to say, Oh, well, yeah, maybe I need to do something a little bit different. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, we need to have uh, Mike Isratel on the show again. He, Dr. <laughs> Mike is, I've been watching some more of his stuff recently and he's just amazing. He, he talks a lot about intra workout carbs, post-workout carbs, pre-workout. And he just puts stuff in real simple terms, you know? And I, I it's been great to have some people on the show recently that are just breaking stuff down nice and simply for us to just have us just understand it at its simplest level. And then you can make it as complicated as you like from there. Yeah. Dr. Mike's like, dude, if you're in a calorie surplus, you don't really need to be chugging down a bunch of BCAAs during your workout. If you want to, it's fine. You know, but if you're in a caloric surplus, you're eating protein, you're not fasting, you're, you know, um, he's like, you don't really need intra workout carbs, you know? Mm-hmm. He's like, but if you're on a specific diet, doing a specific thing, you're dieting for a show, those intra workout carbs could be critical because they could push you through the end of that workout a little bit better. So it might be a good idea to play around with it. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's definitely one of those guys where he shouldn't really have a job. He should say everything once and then we just go back to that one thing. Mm, right. But yeah, every time he does like the um, like uh, RP strength posts out a new video or something and where he's talking, 
it, dude, it's always just gems left and right. I don't yeah. think people even listen. I don't think people. Li- I don't think enough people listen to him. No, because everything he says is like he's super monotone. He's real casual. He does joke around a lot. I think oh, he's yeah, great. He yeah, does. really funny it's when we funny. had him on the show. Banging was, the secretary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we had him on the show. He was uh, he was hilarious. But I think because he doesn't get all like riled up and mm-hmm. say this is the way to do it. You know, he doesn't. He'll he just is too smart for that. And I yeah. also think uh, part of the reason why maybe I guess he might not be that popular is because um, it's again really simple. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like people expect it to be way more complex and way more little things to do, way more little tricks than he actually mentions. And it's really it's it's pretty straightforward. And it's kind of boring when it's straightforward. It's what we were talking about yesterday. People want the uh, the secret told to them right then and there on the spot. Mm-hmm. But if you know, we said. You know, like, oh, how how do we bolt correctly? It's like, oh, there's this video that I actually cut out from this two-hour podcast. You should go watch that. No, no, but like, like, how do I actually, you know, how do I actually, you know, do it? <laughs> Bro, okay, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, Mark, there's this point here in the podcast where, I don't know, I think she was talking. She's probably like, what the hell is this guy laughing at? Bro, I've been just bombing back here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, it's been so bad. And each time I like turn away from Mark, cause I'm like, bro, if, if he smells this, it's going to be you need to have the uh, charcoal underwear. Get that charcoal underwear. Cause even I was smelling it. So there's a point I saw you Ridiculous. turn this way from the mic and I was like, oh shit, he smells it. I think, uh, whenever that happens, you need to say, Hey, uh, excuse me. Excuse me, Dr. Seaman. <laughs> Um, I, I have to, <laughs> no, I have to fart into the microphone. I think this, <laughs> I remember uh, Howard Stern. He used to do that every oh, no. once in a while. He was like, and he, you know, Howard Stern is amazing at interviews. <laughs> he'll interview somebody. He'll be really good. He asks a lot of weird questions and stuff and shit gets weird, but he'll be in the middle of asking somebody some great questions and he'll go, let's get back to what this show is all about. He's like, hold on. Let me put my butt cheeks up to the microphone. <laughs> He just farts into it, and then he just goes back on his conversation. Oh, one oh, of these man. days, we'll have a full, serious podcast. <laughs> it's it been so bad over here. You, you haven't, you haven't smelled anything, huh? It, every once in a while, the room will have a climate change. Let's <laughs> Dude, I That's good. Doctor Seaman and Lieutenant Seaman, Sergeant, 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 Sergeant Seaman. Let's get it correct. Hey. Yo, well, no one's gonna want to mess with them. I mean, she's jacked and a doctor, and he's a fucking sergeant. So who's gonna who's gonna make fun of them to their right. face? You know, you don't mess with those people. I do remember a Howard Stern episode where it was the guy that could fart on command. Oh yeah, he, would, he was God. he was teaching Howard how to do it, and he has like legs over his head. <laughs> it would. <laughs> Dude. He's he's amazing because he had like Matthew McConaughey on the other day, and like he just had the coolest conversation That's with him. Sick. But yeah, then he'll have things like that. And the day before he had Matthew McConaughey on, he had like uh, the best penis episode <laughs> and where he's like judging people's dicks. Like, what oh the hell? God. What the hell's going on? We need to get on that level. I know. Wait, so pause. Like there were like pictures of just dicks. I and think he had people like, like come in the studio and they were just like, yeah, I don't, I don't even, I don't really know exactly what oh. happened on that episode, but I can only imagine. Wow. <laughs> Kidding. Hmm. I got to get back to that show. I know. He's great. He is. I think I have like serious radio or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I have, there's like a, he's on 24 seven. Just the Howard. Whoa. Wait, seriously? Yeah. How? 
it's well, just on all the time. It's just like Howard 101 or something, or Howard 100 or something. Yeah, did, so. did they give him part of the company, or they just gave oh, him a shit ton of money, right? he got some crazy deal, yeah. yeah. Um, I think it'll be interesting with Rogan. So Rogan's on Spotify now, right? Mm-hmm. I don't have a Spotify account, but I need to get one, because I think I can listen to it in my car. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just like an app on the Tesla or whatever. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, normally, like, I just play stuff through my phone. It's mm-hmm. not really a problem either, but I just have never done that before and i don't know anything about anything yeah okay yeah yeah but i I, one thing i really do like those because i'm there there are two people that come to mind um and when they came on this show and they talked about fasting as far as women are concerned they're like oh no no that's Mm. it's not safe it's mm, not a good idea but it's great how she's a practicing clinician that works with a lot of specifically women with different types of diets and so the short sixteen eight fast like it doesn't make sense that it'd be that risky unless yeah. you know like you know suffer from eating disorders or something mm-hmm. like that like why the hell would that be so risky yeah. well and also you know judge how you're feeling you know yeah. you have to probably consider a couple things uh anytime you make a change you'll feel you'll feel changes you know like it might feel uncomfortable so you can't just bail out right away uh, but if you're three weeks into like a ketogenic diet and you still feel dizzy when you're like in the middle of a workout, something's mm-hmm. wrong. You know, I don't think you should really feel dizzy at all. Uh, but you could be so used to running off of carbohydrates that it's a real shock to you. Um, so you have to just, you have to play around with different stuff and you have to see what feels right. And that's why most of these people that we had on the show, they've started with different diets. They moved from one thing to the next. She went from, Seems like what a, a paleo diet. Then she kind of moved into more of a ketogenic diet, and then now she kind of seems like keto, carnivore, paleo-ish. It's like a kind of combination. Sounds like she eats some carbohydrates here and there, but she's not real militant towards uh, just a carnivore diet. And that ended up being something that worked for her. And don't you know? Don't sleep on the stuff that people say. Like when she slipped in that she has uh, electrolytes. Mm-hmm. You know, like those things are important. I think sometimes people miss that. It's like, for some reason, you don't think that you need it or I, yeah, I, I'd probably be cool without it. It's like, no, no, no. Like that's really important because if you're not eating carbs, um, the water in your body is going to really change a lot. Your hydration is going to change a lot. Remember it's a carbohydrate. Um, so that's a big factor. And then also if you're fasting, you're just not eating, you're going to be peeing a lot. You're going to be, maybe you're sweating cause you're exercising. Mm-hmm. You need to figure out a way to replace those electrolytes. And the easiest thing to do is just to have some salt or you could use, utilize a product like element. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Tastes good. Um, it's different than just drinking water, right? Like it's, yeah. you know, add some flavor. I had it in my uh, Dutch bros uh, coffee this morning. I threw the chocolate one in there. Nice. And uh, you know, that that's a little bit, maybe a little bit better than just having salt because now you have uh, some other electrolytes in there as well. Yeah. That, that chocolate one tastes Fucking great. I love that. <laughs> Put it in my coffee this morning, too. It was good. Mm-hmm. Real good. That citrus salt is still number one for me. Mm. So uh, good. Raspberry is still number one as far I as I don't get that ones. one. What did she say? She lost 20, 22 pounds and, and gained, gained like seven. Seven pounds of muscle. She lost like, yeah. I think it was 27 or 29. She lost 29 pounds and put on seven pounds of lean body mass. That's amazing. It's insane. You have to also keep in mind when people say stuff like that, that she had a history of exercising you know she had a history of working Mm -hmm. out and so um somebody might be like holy shit like (laughs) probably there's probably a little bit of muscle memory in there you know Mm -hmm. somewhere yeah and then also along with like some of the the pregnancy cravings she was talking about like you know it's okay here or there but like you know don't 
go all out. Don't indulge. Yeah. yeah. Too much. Like, you know, Stephanie's first pregnancy, she kind of just let loose. You know, she had McDonald's. She mm-hmm. was like, she had a, a constant rotation of like the, the bad foods, we'll say. Like mm-hmm. fast food. Don't want to say bad food. This time around, she has a lot more education on nutrition. She's working out, like I said, almost every day. So there's been a couple of times where it's like, like, hey, like I'm, I got steak cooking, like food's almost ready, but it's like, no, nah, let's just go in and out because that's what she wants right now. Mm. But it hasn't been like an everyday thing. It's nothing like that. So if she heard her say, like, don't indulge, like maybe once in a while, during her first pregnancy she'd be like you're crazy like heck no i can't live without it this time around it's like okay yeah it makes sense so i think you know maybe not everybody received that very well but you know hopefully a lot did and you know hopefully those that didn't receive it well can kind of get some some something out of that and be like okay maybe we can you know take control and you know eat health eat healthier for myself and the baby you know, I don't know anything about being pregnant. So I can't say really? you know much in those terms. Wait, where, but, where did your kids come from? Yeah, I, well, I thought yeah. they just come right out the out the butthole, the dick, out the wiener hole, the wiener hole, the, the weenus. Mm. Mm. <laughs> but I, I just think, I think people are really weak. You know, like you need to if you have a craving, you sometimes need to not act on that. Cra- like, mm-hmm. just don't act on the first one. You know, like it's okay if you have a craving. It's okay if you act on them, but. You know, can you eat a little healthier? Can you do a little bit better than you did yesterday? Um, people have all kinds of excuses on why they eat poorly. You know, mm-hmm. it could be, uh, I think being pregnant is a time to pay attention to your nutrition probably more so than ever. I mean, you're, you're, you have another human being that's inside your body, that's growing inside your body, and their fate of the way that their body is set up is set up based off of you forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you feed that thing a lot of sugar, uh, it might have a propensity to, you know, be diabetic. It might have, you know, it might end up with, it might end up with a little bit of an addiction to the sugars and stuff like that. So just, I'm not saying that I can pretend to know what it's like or to understand it at all, but um, I think that everyone has some control. I know that there's uh, hormonal changes and things going on that you don't really have a lot of control over it, but just don't act on the first craving. You know, you're going to have them each day. There's going to be these little pulses. We all get them. You're super hungry. You want to make a bad decision. You're like, oh, it'd be great to eat that. Just push it off and say, uh, you know, I don't need that right now. Let me, let me make sure that I get the proper nutrition in first. And if I want to make a bad decision later, mm-hmm. maybe I'll do it later. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll eat a slice of pizza or two later. But for now, let me make sure I get in some steak and eggs. Let me make sure I get in some salmon. Let me make sure I get in whatever the heck it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then something that we can speak on, especially, well, I can definitely speak on it, but like you hear about um, dudes getting sympathy weight gain or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's bullshit. Sorry, dudes. <laughs> it's, it's definitely not a real thing. I think those are dudes that maybe maybe she's starting to gain some weight and eat some other foods. He's like, Oh, let me just join in. It's right. not sympathy. Absolutely, it's no. just, it's just feeding the beast. Yeah. Feeding the beast. <laughs> yeah. The beast that you're growing inside the, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was talking about himself. He's feeding too much. Feeding no, no, no. The beast. We're talking about the future legend that people were growing inside themselves. That too. Mm-hmm. That too. But no, I, I totally agree with what both of you guys are saying. I don't think it's, initially i was like hmm can we can we speak on that but like i think it it's it's the most important thing to talk about it's like if if you're ever going to try to take control of your nutrition and your health <laughs> it's while you're growing a baby inside of you 
because like it's crazy she said like she said you know depending on those foods you eat that baby might have a high propensity to be obese mm-hmm. or diabetic or all these issues and do you want to you know make those mistakes right now and have your kid have to have a hard time mm-hmm. with that later on do, do you do you really want to make that choice probably not right we didn't really talk much about like training like into a pregnancy either like but there are people that uh, plan it. You know, there are people that think about like, hey, you know, I'd love to have a baby around this age or when they have a second or third child, they they kind of plan it out. And so you can kind of think about like, hey, like I want to kind of train for it. Like maybe I should uh, maybe I should get in a little bit better shape, oh, yeah. you know, because I've maybe I've neglected my nutrition. Maybe I've, ne- you know, we see people do it with surgeries all the time. Mm-hmm. Somebody's getting a knee replacement surgery and they know it's in, you know, February. They're like, man, I should my damn doctor told me I should lose like 15, 20 pounds. He's probably damn right. And the recovery, you know, when you come out of it will be that much better. And then you can also think about, again, you think about, you can maybe set that baby's health up to be a little better. You'll be healthier during the pregnancy. Uh, you don't have to be as fearful as, uh, you know, uh, having as many complications and, uh, maybe you can, maybe that, you know, quote unquote, snapping back, you can get back in shape a little faster because you mm-hmm. went into it. Yeah. Uh, in a little bit better shape. So this is what Steph did the other day, how it started versus how it's going. And that's exactly what happened. She got into basically the best shape that she's mm-hmm. been in for, I mean, I think since I've known her. Mm. And then, yeah, so hopefully, you know, she doesn't get too upset at like the weight gain because of the baby. But the very it, next post should be like before and after. And she should just swap those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, same thing. She got super jacked and then she got pregnant. Let's go, Steph. Yeah. Ah, she'll be fine. She's very conscious of it. She pays attention to mm-hmm. it. She'll she'll get in shape. Yeah. She's not going to want to sit around and do nothing, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. No, no. I am curious to see how, you know, like nursing and all that goes. Because she said for, you know, our first one, she was like just so depleted. But I'm glad I asked uh, Jamie that question because she was just like, dude, I was like a ghost. Like I had no energy. I couldn't move. I'm like, okay, well we're going to up the, up, up them calories. Mm-hmm. All this stuff is so weird too. Like, um, no one really ever talks about like complications. No one ever really talks about like, uh, nursing a child is like, um, it's really hard. It's really difficult. Like, uh, to get the baby to, you know, and, and the mom's milk doesn't like, doesn't just, doesn't just automatically like, come out of nowhere like it, it takes a while and then the, sometimes the mom's not producing enough milk mm-hmm. when the child's first born there's all these things that happen where you're and it scares the shit out of you because you're like wait what what's going on like yeah what can i do to help and you can't do shit you know no one can do anything it's just uh you know physiological things that are going on that you can't really <laughs> uh you can't really do anything about and you just have to kind of learn it on the fly and you're like oh shit all right well i guess we just gotta wait <laughs> you know <laughs> there's like not much you can do and sometimes the baby has to have like formula or something mm-hmm. and you, you you didn't plan that you didn't really want that but you're like well the kid's got to eat something yeah you know and so there's just all these things that you just uh you don't know you just you watch it on tv and like the baby's born and the everything you know mom's healthy baby's healthy and nor- normally everyone's like healthy but there's always like stuff you know, the kid's jaundice, he's a little yellow, and then, you know, they need to 
you need to sometimes get your kids some sunlight or they put them in like an ICU thing. And you're just like, oh, man, like, what does this mean? Like, you, you're just thinking your world ended because you don't you don't have any reference point. All mm-hmm. you know is like that the baby's supposed to come out and everything's supposed to be good. Mm-hmm. And there's always like just something that goes a little sideways. Normally, it's not anything big deal, but it's just like something that no one ever you know, shared with you or you never heard it before, you know, so it's a complicated thing popping yeah. out a baby. Yeah. When, um, you know, cause we do, uh, the, um, super friend interviews for markbell.com. So I get to talk to Jesse Burdick like almost every week and he's somebody I look up to and, you know, him and his wife just had a baby. And mm-hmm. so like, I get like updates from him and how things going. And he was just saying how, um, you know, we're kind of like wired to, uh, like essentially like really be alert when we hear our baby crying <laughs> and he's like we you know we went to the to uh, like a, a checkup and you know the baby's crying in the back seat he's like and you know me like i sweat through everything in normal <laughs> temperatures he's like when you hear your baby crying you're just like super just you know revved up he's like so by the time i got to the actual you know doctor's office he's like i was just drenched <laughs> and he's yeah, just it makes like, your nerves go crazy yeah that's what he was saying so i'm like oh okay like nobody told me that like I'm glad I have somebody I look up to that can, you know, explain little things like that, that I would never even think of asking or like, what are you talking about? So yeah, well, hmm. they sometimes just cry a lot too. And people are like, oh, they're crying because they're hungry. They're crying because it's like, sometimes they're just crying because they're a baby. Yeah. They ain't got no words yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's a crazy thing with some babies. My buddy had a baby. Uh, I think she's two now, but that baby rarely cried. She's the, she's the calmest kid I've ever met. Mm-hmm. She barely ever. It's 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 wild. Babies are different, man. <laughs> yeah, each kid's uh, quite different too. Yeah. Andrew, take us on out of here, buddy. I will. And actually, before I forget, wanted to show this because uh, this shirt is now available. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> terrifying. <laughs> Who's that green alien? I don't man? know. Well, they they wanted a uh, a lengthy alien, and I'm happy that I, I failed a little bit at it because I got some definition right here and there. I can see the Congolese kind of hanging out. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so the limited edition oh, limited edition glow in the dark phantom tea is available today. Spend fifty dollars at markbellslingshot.com and you'll receive the phantom tea for only fifteen bucks. Came out really good. It looks great. Yeah, and then on top of that you'll get a phantom i can't read it because my thing's messed up but you get a sticker with every phantom t order and so make sure you guys in the dark yeah make sure you guys check that out at markbellslingshot.com and then uh promise this wasn't scripted this didn't you know wasn't planned but you heard today's guest talk about how amazing piedmontese beef is and they are sponsoring today's episode so huge shout out and thank you to Piedmontese for that. Uh, you guys got to just just go get it right now. It's at Piedmontese.com. That's P-I-E-D-M-O-N-T-E-S-E.com. At checkout, enter promo code POWERPROJECT for 25% off your order. And if your order is $99 or more, you get free two-day shipping. Uh, please follow the podcast at Mark Bowles Power Project on Instagram, at MB Power Project on Twitter. And, of course, right here on YouTube or if you're watching this on Facebook, thank you guys for following along. Uh, my Instagram is at IamAndrewZ. And Seema, where can you where can you be reached at? And Seema Inyang on Instagram and YouTube. And Seema Yang on Twitter. Mark. Thank you so much, Dr. Jamie Seaman. Appreciate it. Uh, fantastic podcast. Um, just uh, great to have another great guest on the show talking about nutrition. And this time she talked quite a bit about uh, the type of nutrition that you need when you're pregnant. So that was a little different for us. Mm-hmm. I'm at Mark Smelly Bell. Strength is never a weakness. Weakness is never strength. Catch you all later.